Uh, this morning, I'm going to start with a partial verse out of Matthew, just to set the tone, and a reminder of a verse we studied out of James chapter 1. So here's the verse out of Matthew. This is uh, 1234, the back half of 1234. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus would say it this way. Are you ready? It's not the stuff that goes into you that makes you unclean. It's the stuff that comes out of you that makes you unclean. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In James chapter 1, verse 26, we talked about, Be slow to speak and quick to listen. One of the quotes I have here this morning is... Uh, the popular aphorism holds, it is better to keep silent than, and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Many people in our day, however, are convinced that every person's every thought is worthy of being voiced or at least being blogged to the world through the Internet. So we are in James chapter 3 this morning, and, and I just want to make sure that we understand what it means to live this life, and, and you'll see the title of the sermon this morning is Teachers, Tongues, and Righteousness, and I didn't just come up with three categories and just throw them in a hoop and just decide to talk about them. But righteousness is about character, the character of God. And I've talked about that in church, that righteousness and right-relatedness are very closely connected to each other. And then if we're right-related, it means we're not doing things to break relationships. And so God's righteousness, God is righteous because he never breaks the relationship. It's That's always what sin does. And since God doesn't sin... Righteousness doesn't break the relationship. Treasury agents are trained to recognize forgeries, not by looking at forgeries all day long, but in the beginning they're given only the real thing. And they only touch the real thing, and they hold the real thing, and they're forced to sort of handle it all the time, and then later the forgeries come in and people go, oh, that's not real. And then they, start, then they start to dissect how to recognize it. But the first thing they do is they get close to it, and they get comfortable with it, and they get to know it. That's the way our faith is. And James is going to put his nose on it here in a second. So this is James chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And I'm in the message, which is not the Bible in the pews. Okay? I picked this one. It's not the one I normally preach out of, but man, does it get the point home. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. Just let that sit there for a second. None of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. By the way, I just want you to recognize that I am not making a claim to that perfection. 
It's also not my goal. My goal is to be loving. Um, on this purpose, on this way of teaching, how do we pick teachers around here? I just want to give you just a little insight in how we do that because we've just had a transfer, haven't we, of art. Art and Anne led a class here for years and years and years. And one of the reasons art came to me right when I started and said, I've been teaching a class. It is, is it okay if I continue? Did you know that he asked permission to continue? And I said, yes, after talking to him, I said, yes, because what I could tell was he understood the character of God, that he had personal experience with the character of God. Now, Art and Anne are moving, and Ken has asked or is taking over the class, and I have no problem with Ken taking over the class because he has a personal connection with the character of God. Now, why does that matter? Because if you know, for instance, that God is loving and that God cares for his creation, you will never teach the doctrine of deism, which is God is the the absentee clockmaker, that he just makes the world and just sends it on its way as though he doesn't care, because you know his character is loving and involved. That's the fence post or the fence that guides you away from bad theology. If you know that God loves his people and builds them up, then you won't teach doctrines that are against that. In the same way, one of the tests that I use, and this is my test for giftedness. Are you ready for the whole test that Dave uses for giftedness? If you want to get involved, and we have our, our committees are all getting up and our nominations committee is getting going and, and all that stuff right now. This is how I do this. I don't subject you to a 15-page spiritual gifts test. Do you know why? Because the 15-page spiritual gifts test won't say yes to doing something. So the first standard of being gifted within a church setting is you'll say yes and do it. Because if you won't say yes, I don't care what your skills are. It doesn't matter. You won't say yes. It's pretty easy, isn't it? But if you'll just say, no, I'm not going to do that, then we don't need to know whether you're a gifted administrator. You're not going to administrate. The second one is this. Are you ready? Is joy in the process for you or for those around you. So the fruit of the Spirit, now we're in Galatians, right? Peace, patience, joy, kindness, all this stuff. If you bring that to the project, you're saying yes and you're doing it and you're, getting, you're bringing joy into it or you're getting joy out of it and the people around you are getting those gifts of the Spirit, that's giftedness. You're in the right spot. None of you should seek to be a teacher, but, but if you're gifted that way, then we want to do that. Let's, let's give you an example of bad giftedness. Let's say, for instance, that you put Dave in charge, me, in charge of your finance committee. Okay, so first off, you need to remember that I have an art degree, and people don't get art degrees to make money. If money's important to them, they don't go to art school, because you don't get any money from art school. And then I back that up with a theology degree. You've heard me say that before. So money isn't all that important to me. But if I were doing it, I wouldn't be very good at it, and then there wouldn't be joy in the building around me doing it. Everybody would be unhappy because it was done badly, because, and I said this in the first service, money is not my giftedness. And I, and I looked at Karen, and I said, is that correct? And she looked up. And just put her head back down. Yeah. 
things, basically the truth. So giftedness for me wouldn't be finances. But if you want to learn how to do something you've never done before, I might just be your guy. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That that's my giftedness. If you want to learn how to do something and you want to be trained and you want to, oh, oh man, I am all in and super excited about it. Giftedness is joy in the journey for all those around because the fruit of the Spirit is present. Let's get back to the text, text here. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets the course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Now, I just want to just say just a little bit of words here. Um, I, I can look back here. I know that there's somebody that rides horses in this room, and the bet doesn't do anything if it's not connected to a bridle, am I correct? <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a thing the horse can chew on and, and you have no way to turn it around. In the same way, a rudder without a tiller, if you know what a tiller is, a tiller is the, is the handle the captain uses to turn the rudder. Your mouth has a controlling feature on it. It has a bridle, if you will. Do you know what your bridle is? Okay, some of you would say, well, your brain. Some of you would say your brain. And I'm going to tell you, not completely. Some of you have all met the person who's all brains and no heart and nothing loving ever comes out of their mouth. It's all just the facts, ma'am. That is not a good or complete bridle for your mouth. And some of you have met the person that's just all love, right? I just love. It's just all, all sunshine and fairy tales and marshmallows, right? Everything comes out of their mouth. That is not a complete bridle for your mouth. But when you put the two together, and the only way that happens is with God's help. When you put the two together, you get wisdom. And that becomes the beginning of a bridal. But you have to put the two together, and none of us know how to do that without the Holy Spirit. And so let's go on to this. So I'm just talking about mechanisms here at the beginning of this. It only takes a spark, remember, to set a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By your speech, we can ruin the world turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Some of you have had people say bad things about you. Some of you have said bad things about people. Is there anything good that comes out of that ever? I, I spent hours on Friday on the phone over something like this. Um, an event has happened. I'm on a board on the uh, on a board outside of this church and somebody's talking about one of the board members. And I'm hearing, well, this person and that person are saying something and I and I on the phone I just said specifically to them, well that makes them required reporters. 
the people that are talking are required reporters. Does, is there any required reporters in this room? Do you know what that means? If you, if you are one, you know what that means. I see some hands here. It means that if I see abuse of any kind, I don't get the choice to not report it to the authorities. Did you know that there are people like that in the world? Every teacher in this room is one of those. If you're a doctor, you're one of those. If you're a pastor, you're one of those. And some other positions. There's lots of positions in the world. But what it means is this. So I've got somebody blathering on about something happening, and, and the police have not been notified, but they're talking about it. Now, being a required reporter, I'm just talking out of reality here, so I've spent hours on the phone dealing with this situation on Friday. If, if somebody comes to me and I have a victim and something's happened and I, and I have a suspicion something's happened and I have a person that it's happened to and a person that's done it, I have to report it. But let's say it's this way. There is no victim. There's just gossip. As a required reporter, you know what I'm required to do? Shut my mouth. I don't know anything about it. I can go do research. I can do all that stuff. But I don't get to go talk to other people about it. And so the person telling me about it got a little mouthful about his job because he's a required reporter too and he's not stopping it and saying to the people talking to them, you know, you have a responsibility if you have actual data to do something. And a reputation is gone. Possibly the ability to do great things in the community, possibly the, you know, possibly the, the chance to do great damage in the community is gone right now too. Um, the board that I'm called on, we are doing the work to be above reproach, and, and so this is good and timely work. But just a spark, the whole thing's on fire. Because somebody's spoken out of turn and there's no, there's no victim. And so without a victim, you don't have an abuse at this point. You just have somebody talking. Um, this is just real life here. And I'm just going through and just letting you know how bad this gets right up from the smoke, right out of the pit of hell. And how bad is it to put out the fire? Well, the word here is not hell. Hell, hell actually is a sixth century German term. Before hell in the Bible, they used the word Gehenna. Gehenna is a valley near Jerusalem where they throw their garbage. And every so often they'd set it on fire. How long does garbage burn? Years. Years and years and years. I gave this example. Some of you know that I worked for Department of Transportation for a while. Um, they had this great idea once that they would use shredded tires as a road base in western Washington. When they put the blacktop down, it set the tires on fire. And it smoldered for months until they tore it up and put it out. That's what our tongues have the power to do. And it just keeps going. And you can't put it out because you can't restore somebody because you don't have anything going on. Here it is. There's more. This is scary. It's actually what the 
translation I have here. It says, you can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild. It's a wanton killer. Now, in the Greek, the original language there is it's serpent's poison. Why is that a big deal? Why is it a bad deal that a serpent's poison? Well, I read you this verse earlier, and I read you just part of this verse from Matthew, and this will keep me from losing it quite so fast. Either make the tree good or, and its fruits good, or make the tree bad and the fruit is bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And here's the verse. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, do we know anything about snakes in our, in our uh, theological presence? Is there any problem with a snake somewhere along the line? Who, who knows something about a snake? Is there any story in our tradition that has a snake in it? Anyone? Anyone? The Adam and Eve thing. Who, who is of the race of Adam and Eve in the room? Both hands up. Just no, none of you. Just me. I'm the only one with the problem. Where where I start to because I'm like Adam and Eve, and and I haven't paid enough attention to the character of God, and and then He says, "Don't do this one thing." And the and the Hebrew is just gorgeous in in the storyline. It actually says, "Don't eat from this place, eat of this tree, because then if you will dying, you will surely die." It's pretty colorful language, almost poetry, isn't it? Dying, you will die. If, but if you know God's character and you know that he wants the best for you and he's telling you not to do something, then what he's actually telling you is if you do this, it's not the best for you and we don't want to do that. And his character guides your behavior. His righteousness guides your behavior. But they didn't believe it and they bought something that they didn't really want. So in the garden, the story is this, right? You'll get to know the difference between, you'll get to know good and evil. My favorite question in this spot is, didn't they already know good? Congratulations. You get to know evil by experience. That's the way the tongue works. If you don't trust it, the serpent speaks, and then they don't trust this character of God, and don't become a teacher if you don't know the character of God, because you're going to say some things that are going to be bad. One of my professors at seminary says it this way, that he's a systematic theologian. By the way, how many of you have ever read systematic theologians? Just, just you know why? They're not really readable. <laughs> Very circular. <laughs> I'm not making that up, are they? But he would call himself the sewage officer of the church. It's his job to make sure untreated sewage doesn't get let loose on the church. That's what theologians do. But there's a way to do that is to get to know his character. With our tongues, we bless our Father, God, and with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings all out of the same mouth. But I want to go back. I forgot to say something here that's really big. It's never been done. Nobody can tame the tongue, right? With humans, this is impossible, says Jesus. 
But with God, all things are possible. You can't tame your tongue. You can tame tigers and lions and bears and fish and yeah, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Thank you. But inside you, you need some assistance. Now, how do you do that? You get to know this God and his character starts to rub off on you. And then you trust him. And then he starts to help you trust his character. And you know him. And then the the good theology comes in there and your head starts to work with your heart. Now let me read this thing. Blessings and cursings out of the same mouth. Here's the next line. My friends, this cannot go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? So what is our job as Christians? This is, remember, James is talking to believers, and that's us. What is our job? Well, our job is to witness to the character of God in our world. And who is the, what is the character of God like to us? Well, it's, a, it's clear water, a spring gushing up inside of us, this life and bubbling and, and have it to the whole, and it's all this stuff. But then we go around and we go, bleh, 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 and we turn and we just muddy the water. Friends, how long can this go on? If you want to be a witness to the Lord, and I'm, and this is me, and I forgot my bony finger of indignation back in my office this morning, right? Because you know my little plastic bony finger. If you want to be a witness to God's character in the world, then you need to stop muddy in the water and be the cool drink the refreshing spring that's inside of you and let God bridle your tongue with the controlling apparatus of the Spirit. In the first song, first service, we sang a song, and it was this, that, that, that your breath is in our lungs. It's with your breath that we breathe. In Hebrew, the word breath and spirit is the same word. It's his spirit by which we breathe and eat and live and do all that stuff that we do. May our lives be cleansed and bridled in that clear and living water. That's the gospel out of James. I have one more, one more little quote to read, okay? Are you ready? Christianity is a religion of the word. You knew that, right? We, we learn the word of God and it has its root in us and it's written on our hearts, not on stone tablets someplace else, but written on us. That's Christianity. Oral and scribal. In speech and in writing, believers have the opportunity to witness to faith or to failings. What we write, however, can often be erased with the exception of accidentally sent emails. You ever sent an email you shouldn't have sent? Sent? Nope. No, Larry has not. Why why have you not sent an email you never intended to send? Well, in the first place, I don't have a computer. And in the second place, I don't know how. That is the perfect way to stay clean on a computer. Don't do it. 
My grandfather used to say to a salesman, came to sell him a computer once, and he says, Dear young man, if I ignore them, they'll go away. (laughs) Of course, he was in his late 80s when he said that. So they did go away for him. Anyway, back to the quote. When we have spoken, the word is out. Learning to control the tongue was and is a vital part of Christian practice. I just want to say that this way. Learning to control your tongue is a vital part of becoming that clear spring of living water that people can come to, our community, that Colville can come to and find the real thing, that they can get to know God's character. Let's make it so. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for this this company. May your may their ears be open to you. May you love them so. May they love well. In your name, amen. <laughs>